start a new series this morning, The Violent Rest. Now, it's going to take us a few weeks to really unpack what that phrase usually means. But this morning, uh, I want to start somewhere. So this morning, the question for you is this. Can you remember the last time that you played? Now, when I say play, I mean like uh, uh, childhood playing. I mean, you know, you get lost in that imaginary world which we create, right? I'm talking about you're on the monkey bars, but yet in your mind, you know, you are Tarzan in the jungle. You are swinging on the vines, right? When was the last time that you can remember being in that kind of place? Just go ahead and think about it for a second. When was the last time that you were at play so deeply that you lost yourself? He forgot about uh, bills or problems or the obligations you might have. You, you forgot about uh, your fears or your worries or the expectations of people around you. Moments where you were so caught up in what you were doing that you weren't even aware of anything else in your world. In essence, all that you were aware of was your world. Completely lost in a world that you have created. Now, if you even tried to think about it, how old were you the last time that you could remember a moment like that? Come on, holler at me. How old were you? I envy you, friend. I envy you. Okay, so two weeks ago, how about for everyone else? Two. You guys... Okay, that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to say like five years old. I mean, golly. I need to learn from you guys for sure, right? Okay, I was expecting these answers. Five, six, seven years old. Okay, so everyone else, I'm just going to assume that you're wrong. (laughs) Two weeks ago. Yesterday. I wasn't watching the Razorback game. I was... So ideally, okay, as far as for me and my sermon, it would be a long time ago, okay? A long time ago, where a place where you were able to lose yourself, right? And so, and so in this place of play, okay, just try to remember uh, the feelings, what it was like. There are certain things which are going on inside of you in those moments, right? You are feeling uh, joy and excitement, there's creativity, there's engagement, you feel uh, fully present in the moment. But there are reasons that you're able to feel that way. The first reason which you're able to engage in play as a child is the word safety, right? When you are uh, swinging on the swing or you're on the trampoline or you're on your, you know, um, uh, riding your bicycle, whatever it is, there's a sense of safety. You're not worrying about, you know, well, you know, if I'm on my bicycle, if I go too fast, the front tire could go flat and I could fall on my face and end up in the hospital. Right? In the moments that you are engaged in play, you're not aware of those worries or, or those concerns. When you're on the monkey bars, you're not thinking about someone coming by to pants you. Right? Until it happens. Right? And then you go, okay, next. Okay. You understand how that works, right? There are, a play, there are places in this, 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 this space of play where we are unaware of our safety. We're unaware of fear. Because we... We feel safe. And we also feel safe because we feel like all of our needs have been met. There's no, um, when you are lost in play, you're not going, 
oh, I'm so thirsty right now. Oh, I wish I could have a drink. You're not thinking, man, I'm so hungry. I wish that I, you know, I had money to buy a burger. You're not thinking, oh my gosh, the, you know, the, the car payment is due tomorrow morning. You are completely unaware of those things because you're lost in something. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is that there is, is a state of being alive. There is a state of being alive which we've lost. A place where the only thing that fully matters to us is enjoyment in that moment. Fully enjoying life and seizing it. And there's something about being a child where that is a safe space for us where, where it's allowed to happen. Now, think back. When did you begin to lose these experiences? You, you become older. You become more aware, right? What happens is you began to experience things that challenged that kind of a, a childlike place. When you were on the monkey bars, you weren't, you weren't worried about your safety. You felt safe because up until that moment, up until that moment, you had been protected, right? Your parents kept you safe, right? You know, if you're on the monkey bars, the odds are there was a, a teacher around or there's a, you know, a parent around. There's someone who's protecting you, right? There's someone who's keeping you safe. In that space, you're able to enjoy play because you weren't worried about your needs being met because there was someone who was putting clothes on you. Okay, there's someone who was feeding you. You know, there's someone who took you to, someone who took you potty and who wiped your butt even, amen? I think you lost your ability to play when you had to wipe your own butt. I think that's about the age, okay? <laughs> Life is not as fun as I thought it was. <laughs> and there's also something else. There's, there's safety. There's your needs being provided for. But there's also a sense of being loved. What's interesting about children is that they tend from a young age, if, if you have a, if a very decent home, we'll say average home, children from young ages, they, they innately are able to absorb love much better than we can. There's a sense of being loved and knowing that they are loved. Now, these three things, safety, provision, and love, are three things which as you get older, you begin to feel the need to take care of those on your own. These are three things that you begin to, to lose almost. You begin to, to lose your sense of safety. We just passed a uh, very sacred day in this country. 9-11. And of course, if I say that in this room, everyone knows exactly the moment and the place that you were when you heard about the towers. When the reality, when, when you entered a new world, basically. There's the pre-9-11 world, and now there's the one that we live in, the post-9-11 world. And that moment when you learned about these, these, these awful attacks, your awareness of the lack of safety increased. You were always in danger. There was always a threat. So there's always things that can happen. But your awareness, you became awake to the dangers that now exist in your world. Your world changed that day. Now what's crazy, of course, is if we go to these 
these other rooms, we bring in the nursery and the kids' church and the youth, we ask them the same question. <laughs> All right? Their experiences are completely different. Even though the youth over there have grown up in a world with the increased security and you know, all the checks they go through to get on planes, all these different things, their awareness of fear is not as high as yours because they weren't alive to experience the things that we experienced. See, what happens is this. As you get older and you begin to live life, you begin to experience a broken world. Would you say that your experience of the world has been broken? Anybody? Have you experienced pain, fear, lack? Anybody? And these things, these experiences, they, they go deep inside of us. They begin to, to shape the way that we see everything around us. The way, that I, the way that I see a stranger who I've never met is now shaped by my fears and my needs and my deepest pain. Experiences which, you know, I, I've never even had before. If you've never flown before. Most people have fears of flying, but they've never even flown before. Their entire conception of doing something is based around fear. Loss. Pain. The heart of this is very simple. Because you have lived in a world that is broken, you are now what? broken. Because you live in a broken world, it inevitably will break you. If you live in a world that has pain, at some point you're going to feel pain. And at some point, if you are experiencing pain inside, what are you going to, to pass to the next person around you? Say it. Pain. <laughs> if you have learned pain, you now know fear. And if fear is inside of you, what are you going to teach your children about that stove? Don't touch that stove because you could get burned. Don't run the parking lot. You could die. Liam has no concept of death. He has no idea like what that means, but he will tell you. If you run the parking lot, you will die. He will tell you. He, he understands this, even though he doesn't understand it. What he understands is not the concept of death. He understands fear. Because he has parents who have instilled something into their child, right? Fear. It's interesting how this passes over. It's interesting how there's also something about being loved which is lost. The moment that we begin to experience pain, the moment that, that we begin to experience fear, there's also something that begins to tap into the deepest part of us. There's something about losing our safety which begins to carry over, and then we begin to lose our provision, meaning we begin to be aware that we might not have the things that we need. Has anyone ever gone uh, hungry for a meal, not because uh, you know, you're, you're too busy having fun, but because you couldn't afford food? If you've experienced that before, it's, it's transformed you, right? But what's interesting about this is, if you were a child who grew up in a poor home and you skipped meals, were you aware of lack? The answer is most likely not. What's amazing is that there's these, these moments with some family members I have. We would go have this special day where we'd all go to Taco Bell, and everyone would get one taco. We thought it was just like the best day in the entire world. 
Their favorite snack was a tortilla with butter and sugar. I thought to myself, this is heaven. Like, this is amazing. I didn't realize that they were poor as dirt. The reason that we only went and got tacos once a month and everyone gets one taco, because they had no money. The reason that the best snack you can have is a tortilla with some, some butter rolled on it, probably margarine, probably, <laughs> it was margarine, okay? Because they were broke. But I was not aware of that. They were not aware of that. There's something here. When we begin to become aware, awake to fear, awake to pain, awake that we might not be loved, it changes everything. For example, my little girl, she loves to climb on stuff. It's, it's kind of scary, actually. And so at the house yesterday, the basketball goal we've got, she climbs up this kind of a ramp on it. She's hanging upside down. Of course, I see this. I sprint over there. She falls on a catcher. I'm awesome. It's okay. And I put her down, and then I walk away, and of course, she does what? The same thing again. And this time, she does fall. And she always does this thing. She falls, and she goes, okay, Dad. What that means is, am I okay, Dad? She's fallen. She has a bruise. But she wants to ask, am I okay? And if I say yes, she could have a huge knot on her head, but she's going to get up and run around. The moment that I say, oh, boys, get away from her, right? Then what? She begins to cry. Now, with this kind of in our minds, I want us to go back to the Genesis story. There's something very, very important here which we need to understand about this story. We've all been taught Genesis uh, creation narrative in all sorts of different ways. And, and there are, there's a lot going on in this story. It's a very kind of complex uh, few pages. But the one thing I want you to think about, when you read this, the most important thing that's being communicated here is not how the world is created. It could be, and it doesn't matter if it is or not. The most important thing that the author is trying to get to you is not the how, it's the why. Why does everything in this world exist? Now, there are humans in this room who care about the how, right? You want to know, did it take six days and four hours? Did it take five days and, you know, 12 hours? How long did it take? Did it take 80 billion years? You want to know the exact details of how the world was created. There are some of you like that. But all of you want to know the why. Meaning, why am I here? Why am I alive? Why, am I, why do I have hands? And why do I have hair? Or I used to have hair. Why? Come on, that was good. Why, why do I work? Why do I have uh, friends, why am I breathing air? Why am I, why do I exist? This has been a fundamental question for man since the beginning. Why are we here? And the Genesis story is seeking to answer the why. Why are you here? And so in chapters 1 and also in, in 2, we get these, these stories from different angles of how creation was made. And God is making all these amazing things, and He's doing things, and on, on this day He decides to make this first, and then He makes this, and then He makes this. But there's something crucial that you need to understand. There's a phrase that comes after every one of His little creations. He creates something, and He says, 
This is good. And of course, we come to the sixth day and he begins to make man and woman in his own image. He makes this creature which he desires to to be molded after him, to have his imprint on it, right? And he makes it and he has this phrase. The CEB says, this is supremely good. This is excellent. This is perfect. This is what I intended for it to be. Are you, am I okay, Dad? You're doing good, sweetie. There's a seal of approval which man receives from the first breath it ever takes. From the moment that man and woman are formed, the first word, the first affirmation, the first sign that they receive from God is this. You are good. And even though... They are aware that God has created and made and He's exerted all this energy and imagination and attention to detail. He did all these amazing things. The first action which God models for His children is not work. That's what? Rest. So from the moment that man is born, he takes his, his first breath, the first thing that gets spoken into this person, into this soul, into these emotions, into this psyche, you are good? Let's rest. Now, I want you to understand something. This story is often read in a very different view. Most times I hear this story taught, it's taught this way. From the moment that man becomes awake and conscious, God speaks to it. You are bad. You are broken. And you need to work to be made right. What they're reading, of course, is chapter 3. And so in chapter 3, we see a change, right? There is something where Part of the the God image in these creations and and the man and woman is this ability to choose and to think and to have will and to to choose to to begin to make its own decisions. And we see that there's a consequence to decision. And so in chapter 3, we get this, this narrative where God says, because you've chosen this way, now everything's going to be reversed in this world. And we're going to unpack that some more. But I want you to sit with this this morning. If you take these scriptures to be sacred, if you take this story to be formative, if you believe that God inspired this book to teach you how to understand yourself, how to view Him, and how to view this world, I want you to understand this. This book tells you very straightforward. You are loved. And you need only rest. Let me explain this to you. With my children, if I begin to speak to my children, you are loved. But if that loved only ever follows actions, achievements, goals. Jude loves baseball. 
If Jude only ever hears, son, I'm so proud of you, I love you, after he hits a home run, after he makes an out, after he cleans his room, after he does something that makes me happy. From that moment, the rest of his life, love will always be attached, there will always be a string attached to my love in his mind. We try our best to make sure our kids hear and receive love when they fail, that they hear and receive love when they disobey, that they hear and receive love when they are doing nothing. One of the most dangerous things you can ever build in someone is that your love is contingent. That your love is only based on this person making you happy. In a marriage, we see this often, that love is performance-based. Sometimes there are people who are attracted to others, and they are attracted to their success. Because this person was so good at business, or they were you know, so intelligent, or so gifted, so physically fit. And of course, in these marriages, the moment that this thing is lost, the moment that someone gets sick, the moment that their business falls apart, the moment that they lose their job, what happens to the marriage? It begins to crumble. There are marriages where there is one spouse who only expresses love whenever they are able to receive some type of physical intimacy. And so the other spouse is always trying to meet a bar, always trying to perform, always trying to earn love. And so the moment that this person comes to their emotional end, they cannot continue to extend their bodies because their emotional needs are not being met, the marriage begins to cave. These go on and on and on. I want you to understand something. The creation narrative is about a world of abundance, meaning there is always enough in this place. Always enough. There's always enough for you, and there's always enough for anyone else. But the moment that the story begins to change, and the story begins to become about scarcity, meaning there is only enough for a few, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is my view of God based on abundance or on scarcity? Now again, you know, that sentence probably doesn't mean a lot right now, but I'll explain it to you. In your mind... Does God only have so much love? Does God only have so much forgiveness? Does God only have so much mercy? Does God only have so much grace? Does God only love so many people? Is God only going to embrace these couple people? I want you to understand something. In this room, we only have a room full of middle children. Do you know what I mean by that? Who's actually a middle child? Come on, hands up. Okay. Meaning, I've got to earn attention. I've got to earn my parents' time. Now, (laughs) you probably shouldn't have had you raise your hand. If you are a middle child, the odds are going to tell us you're probably the loudest of anyone in your family. 
You probably have the ability and you, you are constantly trying to say, hey, hey, look at me. Hey, I'm here. With my family, my middle child, as you would expect, is the loudest, has the most energy, is all over the place, but we are always trying to go out of our way. He's the first child I think of when I, when I walk in a room because we are always trying to fight this. No, son, you don't have to fight for attention. You don't have to earn it. You have it. You, we, have all been raised being taught that we are middle children. We will only get the attention and blessing from God if. If. And we have been taught to work for it, to earn it, to strive for it. I want you just to think for a second. How healthy is this image of God? I want you to understand something about this. In your mind, if the only way to receive the love and embrace of God is to earn it, I want you to realize this. Because we're honest, and because you know you're human, there is a limit to your strength. There's a limit to your intelligence. There is a, a limit to your energy. There is even a limit to your willpower. There's a limit to your ability to receive the love of God if it's all about you. Are you telling me that the smartest person, if I'm smarter than you, I'm going to be able to, to get more of God? If I happen to work a job where I have a whole lot more time available than you do, I'm going to be able to get more of God because I'm going to give him more time than you ever could. I'm a pastor. I'm paid to sit and do nothing. Right? <laughs> or if I say, people who read the Bible more will get more of God. So you're telling me that everyone in this room who hates to read has no chance to get as much of God as I can get. Because I like to read more than you do. That sounds great. How arbitrary, how ridiculous is this? How silly is this? This series is going to take us to some really interesting places. I'm very excited about it. But I want you to understand this. The moment that your view of God is limited, God only has so much to give, then there automatically has to be a fight for it. If there's only six pieces of pizza and there's all of us, what's going to happen? You introverts, me included, we're going to be like, okay, you guys can have it. <laughs> and everyone else is going to be fighting for it, right? Who's seen a post-apocalyptic movie? Anybody? Me, like the world ends? Okay. When Katrina happened, right, in New Orleans, when the stores are closed and there's only so much water, there's only so much food, there's only so many boats. What begins to happen? We begin to fight for it. We begin to hurt others for it. We begin to kill for it. When you have been taught a view of God where there is only so much of God, only so much, only so little of the people who will be approved of Him, 
Only so little of people who receive forgiveness or love or embrace. There's only this way. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a religion for over 2,000 years that is covered in bloodshed. Which is our religion, by the way, if you didn't know. Christianity, covered in bloodshed. Over 2,000 years. If you start from a place where God says, you are broken. But what if you start from a place where God says, you are supremely good. If you start from a place where you are broken and God says, go back and earn my love again. Earn it. Fight for it. There's only so many seats at this table. But what if there's a story where God says, no, no, no. You are loved and all you have to do is just rest in my love. Just be. Just be in this place. Sounds an awful lot like a story we've talked about a few times. Sounds an awful lot like the prodigal sons to me. No, 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 son. No, 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 son. Just stay here. All, no, 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 no. It's okay that you, that you smell, that you stink, and that you failed, and that you've shamed me. It's okay that, that, that you have sinned against me. No, no, no. Here. I will cover you up. All you need to do is just sit. Just rest. Just sit at my table. There's nothing else to do right now. Just be. Just rest here. It will transform your life if you begin to see God from a place of abundance. Meaning, if you begin to look at God as someone who is not limited in his ability to do or to have or to accept or to love, so another way to phrase this is this Who are you apart from what you do? So, Jimmy, <laughs> Matt, who are you? And let's chop off every accomplishment you've ever had. Every job, every uh, achievement, every paycheck. Who are you apart from what you do? Who are you apart from what you can produce? See, in chapter 3, one of the curses that comes, one of the consequences of their choices is that from now on, this abundant world, that's the word that's used there, in this abundant world, now you will have to toil for what you get. You will have to work extremely hard to produce, to bring things home to your family, to bring an offering to God. You will have to bring and so from that moment forward, from chapter 3 forward, God begins to ask for offerings. Kings begin to demand offerings. 
offerings are brought to have a, a spouse or a bride, offerings are brought when children are born. From chapter 3 on, humanity only knows its worth attached to what it can produce. How much money can you make? How, what grades can you bring home? Are you starting on the football team? What can you offer me? Think about this. You only know who you are by what you bring the people you love most. You only know that, that you're really loved by your spouse because you know you're able to provide things for them. You only know that you're loved by God because you're able to do things for God. You only know that your kids love you because you're able to be a good parent. But what if you were the worst parent in the world? What if you were the worst spouse to ever live? What if you were a terrible child? What if you had nothing to offer anyone? What if every possession and ability and gift you ever had was stripped from you right now? Would you look at yourself and love yourself? Would you feel loved? We all know the answer to that one. But I want you to understand this. The reason I'm, I'm pulling these layers back is this. Foundationally, the most important thing that every human being has to recover is that they are loved. I asked you this morning if you remember the last time that you played. It's not saying life is not about just gratification and pleasure. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there is a place underneath your wounds, underneath your, underneath your terrible experiences, underneath all of the harmful ideas that you were taught as you were growing up, underneath there some place is a part of you that knew at some moment in your life that you were safe, that all of your needs were met, and that you were loved. And here's why it's important. For you to grow in God, you have to get back to a place where you know that you are safe, everything you need is going to be provided for, and that you are loved outside of anything you will ever do. If anyone in this room could get back to that place, it will transform your relationships. It will transform the way you handle your money. It will transform the way you have friends. It will transform the way you parent, the way that you have spouses. It will transform everything in your life if you could just learn how to be loved without bringing anything in return. And if you can get to that place, you will grow into a place of learning what it is to give love without anything in return. Every single relational issue every mental issue, every emotional issue that you deal with in your entire life, every problem your marriage will ever have, your children, every negative thing you'll ever teach your children, it all comes back to this. There is a place in you that does not feel safe. There's a place in you that feels that you have to fight for everything you get. And there's a place in you that feels deep down inside that if you don't provide, give, earn, that you will not be loved. And I just also named the three reasons that we cannot follow Jesus faithfully. Because how in the world can I take care of the needs of people around me if I'm worried about my own needs being taken care of? 
How in the world can I help to, to provide and protect and to always be a safe place for people whenever I have to protect myself? How in the world can I extend love to strangers and love to my enemies when I don't even know if I am loved? And so following Jesus will always be impossible for you until you learn how to allow God to love you with no strings attached. How to expect God to protect you and how to expect and even imagine that God is going to meet your needs. Would you guys stay with me this morning? This is definitely not one of the lighter sermons ever done. And I'm, I'm not preaching this from a place of accomplishing this. This is, this is not that at all. I'm preaching this from a place of wrestling with this, of knowing this about myself. I know this about myself. I have always been someone who, who attaches my value to my work, to earning, to achieving. I've always been someone who wants to fight for attention. I know this about myself. I understand that I've always had difficulty being a safe place for people because, I mean, who actually feels safe? How can you embrace someone when you have to protect yourself? I know these things about me, and I think that you know them about yourself. How can I possibly take care of the people around me when I'm struggling to take care of my own needs? So what's so powerful about the challenge of Jesus is the Lord's Prayer itself breaks down all three of these needs. It attacks to the heart of the reason that we're unwilling to trust. And so this morning, the challenge for us is not to, to fix ourselves this morning. I don't think we, any of us expect that. The challenge this morning is to see it. We are called to live a life of faith, and that's been taught to be a lot of different things. But the first thing that, that you are challenged to, to live by faith in is this. No matter how many times you experience in this life that you are only loved for what you accomplish, for what you achieve, for what you provide, for what you have to offer, we have faith, and we live by faith that God loves us apart from anything that we do. No matter how many times we experience lack, and we experience bills not being paid or dreams not being able to, to come to reality, we live by faith that we have a God who can and will provide for all of our needs. And no matter how many news stories or Twitter feeds or Facebook posts tell us how unsafe we are, we trust and have faith that we have a God who is present cares is going to protect us. Prayer team, would you guys come on up? Father, we just come to you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would meet us. This morning, I ask, Lord, that you would meet every one of us in the deepest places of our fear, the deepest places of our insecurity, the deepest places of our need this morning. We invite you in. We don't know how to trust you, but we want to. We don't know how to love you, but we want to. 
We don't know how to be loved, but we want to. So Father, we, we ask for a future where we can be fully present, fully able to love the people in our lives, fully able to receive love from people in our lives. A future where our needs are fully met, where we're able to provide for the needs of others. A future where we are not consumed with worry or fear, but rest in your peace. And so in every one of these areas where we wrestle and we fear and we have insecurity and pain and doubt, we invite you in. Start the process of healing us. In Jesus' name.